Father, I thank you for the morning. I thank you for the cool morning, and I thank you for this group. Father, it's a, it's a blessing to be with these young adults, and it's a blessing to share um, in life and community with them. And, and Father, as we look at your word, please speak to us by your Holy Spirit. May these words not just be mine, um, but please illuminate our, th- our thoughts, our minds, our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 1 Thessalonians. If you have not been here, that's okay. But a brief summary is 1 Thessalonians was written by the Apostle Paul to a group of believers in Thessalonica on his second missionary journey. And the Thessalonians uh, were a vibrant yet baby church. So when Paul made his way to Thessalonica, he was met with Uh, great success as far as a lot of people uh, responding positively to the gospel and meeting together as a church and he was there teaching and training them Um, but just like in Philippi and also just like in Corinth he met opposition except in Thessalonica he met it very very quickly uh, and very harshly and he was he was run out of town quicker than he wanted to be and so um, it left the Thessalonians uh, a little bit in a lurch um, he, he had not finished teaching in his plan, and so what we see in, Thessal- in First Thessalonians is kind of a continuation of his teaching of, of major, pretty major points of doctrine and righteous living. Um, and there's a common theme that kind of runs through the book on what it means to hope in the second coming of Christ. There's a lot of confusion in what that meant. And if you don't have an understanding of the second coming of Christ, then you can the rest of your theology can kind of be spinning out of control a little bit. So there was some misunderstanding, but there was also a feeling in Thessalonica that maybe, just maybe, uh, Paul didn't really care about him. So he just kind of got out of town when he thought that, you know, his, his neck was on the line. And so as he's writing the book, he's writing to affirm his commitment to them, but at the same time, acknowledge God's hand in all things. And he's uh, giving God the credit while at the same time saying, look, you guys are doing well. You've responded really well. You are loving each other. And then the second half of the book is a lot of instruction. So that's kind of the background of what we see in 1 Thessalonians. Let me read for us 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 6 through 13. It's it's 6 through the end of the chapter. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith, and love, and reported that you always remember us kindly, and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress, distress and affliction, we've been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Verse nine. For what thanksgiving can we can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake, before our God. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. Before we jump into this text, I just want to um, 
start off by saying it is always a good thing um, to ask the question, um, what benefited you in fill in the blank? What benefited you in your dating relationship? What benefited you in your marriage? What benefited you in your travel to Europe? What benefited you in your personal study of the word? When we look around, we see other people who've gone before, maybe people who are older, people who are more traveled, or people who are more seasoned in relationships. Um, I love asking people those kind of questions because uh, I have a limited amount of knowledge, and if I can go to other people who have more experience than I do in, in really any category, it's just going to be a benefit to me to learn what benefited them. Um, the first time I went to uh, the Czech Republic, which was several years ago, um, I went to the city of Prague. And before I went to the city of Prague, I, I, I like the top 10 things to see in a city lists. You know what I'm talking about? And so if, if I'm going to travel, which I love to travel, and I know that I'm going to go to a city, I like to Google search top 10 things to see. Well, the top 10 things to see, oftentimes, when you Google them, um, are kind of the top 10 touristy things to see. You know what I mean? And that's not always necessarily what you want to see. And so the first time I went to Prague, um, I got in touch with this guy who I knew had done a, a teaching professorship overseas and I got in touch with him and said hey I'm going to Prague I know you went to Prague what should I see and he kind of gave me this list and it was great because he both told me the things that I should see uh, which were not on the top 10 list quite literally and then he was telling me things don't waste your time like that museum is overpriced not that great you could see better ones other places but they that was on the top 10 list and so it's always it's always going to be a good thing to ask hey what benefited you in that scenario um, I have a cousin of mine who's very well-traveled, and she has traveled to Africa six, eight times. And before I went to Africa to visit my sister, um, she gave me travel tips and hints. And she said, you know, if you're going to be on the airplane for 18 hours, here's the best way to handle that time. <laughs> you know? And the tips that she gave me kind of revolutionized the way that I, I fly on those, on those long, long trips. So it's always going to be a benefit to ask other people what benefited you in this certain situation. And so I think that we can ask Paul that question by looking at the text here. What benefited you the most? Because what we see clearly here is that Paul has been greatly benefited by the good news that he's received from Timothy about the Thessalonians. We see um, in verse 6 where we started, it says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and that you long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, it says in verse 7, and then he goes into this kind of list of things that are really beneficial to him, things that are really good things. And so if we look at somebody like the Apostle Paul, of all people, and say, what are some of the things that have happened in his life that were good things? Let's look at those, the things that benefited him. Let's look at those. So. Paul in this text has been greatly benefited, and we should, we should ask the question, how? We see in verse 7, it says, For this reason, brothers, in all of our distress and affliction, we have been comforted. That is a great thing. Every one of us, 
at different points in time have been distressed or afflicted or uncertain or worried or angry. But Paul himself right here, he says he was distressed and he was in affliction, yet he found comfort from the Thessalonians, from the news that he received about the Thessalonians. In verse 8, he says, but now we live if you're standing fast in the Lord. Now, to me, this almost feels like an overstatement because, again, this is the Apostle Paul. But the Apostle Paul has heard good news that the Thessalonians are actually continuing on in their faith. And he is elated. He finds great joy. And it's almost like he's saying, because I heard this good news, now, now we can live. And there's a feeling of hope here. Like, as in, there, we used to be so distressed and so bound up by uncertainty and how you're actually doing that we were, we were discouraged and we were bogged down. We were weighted. But because we found good news coming from you, we, now we can live, he says in verse 8. But now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. At one point they were discouraged, um, and now they're encouraged. I don't know if you've ever been in this type of a situation. I have been. Lauren and I have been. Where a situation will arise that causes us distress. Maybe we find out that somebody is really offended. Have you ever been in a situation where you find that you've possibly done something? And you've really offended somebody, um, and you didn't mean to, and it really, you, you hurt for that? You ever been there before? I know I have been. And you're like, man, I, I hope that we can fix this situation. I hope that we can fix this scenario. I hope that we can make amends. Or maybe you're the third party, but you care about these two people, and there's been a butting of heads, and maybe words were said. And there's a feeling of, of oh, no, how is this going to be when we get together for dinner, when we get together for community group? Like, are they going to be okay? Have they worked through things? And then when you find out that things have been clear, that the air is clear, that they've handled things the right way, that you actually feel the sense of, we can move on, right? That there's a sense of hope, that there's a sense of life there. So Paul says, now we can live if you're standing fast in the Lord. The beginning of verse 9 says, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? What thanksgiving can we return to God for you? So Paul is actually uh, giving thanks, that thanksgiving is produced because of the good news that he has received from the Thessalonians. The second half of verse 9, he says, For all the joy that we feel for your sake, that he feels great elation, but great joy because of the things that he's hearing about the Thessalonians. Verse 10. At the beginning, he says, um, and as we pray most earnestly night and day. So there's a lot of concern for them, yet it's like a rewarding longing that's associated with this prayer. Um, have you ever heard the, the idea that the anticipation is as much fun as the, the trip or the gift or something like that? You know, maybe you have a big vacation planned or a big outing or a big concert or a big game that you're looking forward to going to. And you're just excited, and you're excited, and you're excited, and it's fun to be excited. There's a rewarding longing that Paul has here when he says, As we pray most earnestly, night and day, that we may see you face to face. Is there a baby in here? <laughs> it's my baby. It's a very young adult. Uh, <clears throat> This is the first Sunday that Lauren's been able to join us. We're really Sunday back, so 
Um, love them both. Um, so back to verse 10. There's an earnest prayer to see them face to face. Not just an earnest longing, not just earnest care, but he wants to see them again. There's a love that's, that's, that's exploding through the pages here that he really legitimately longs to love and care for them. Verse, uh, the end of verse 10, it says that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. It almost seems like he is saying here that there's an appropriate selfishness that Paul says, I want to be a part of the progression of your faith. I want to be, I want to be the one because in, it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a well-placed pride here where Paul says, I have what you need as far as the teaching of doctrine. And, and, and I love you, and I long to be able to provide that for you. I mean, this is discipleship here, and there's great joy in that. It's, it's, it's an act of righteous service that he wants to see them, and he wants to serve them. So these things greatly benefited Paul. Look at it. He was comforted. All right. He was once discouraged, and now he's encouraged. He is offering thanksgiving to God. There, he has joy. He has great joy because of them in verse 9. That he has a very rewarding longing in his prayers to see them. And that he longs to righteously serve them. All right, so these are all good things. These are all things of benefit to the Apostle Paul. These things are also major elements of godliness. To be, to be comforted, not just in God, but by God's people. To find great joy, to be encouraged, to offer thanksgiving, to offer prayer to receive joy, to have a rewarding longing, and to righteously serve people. Another word for this would be sanctification. Sanctification. What does it mean to be sanctified? Sanctification is defined as a process by which we partner with God to become more like Christ through our obedience and our worship. Sanctification is the process by which we partner with God to become more like Christ through obedience and worship. So what I'm proposing here is that we are getting a glimpse of how Paul is becoming more sanctified as a result of his love and his relationship with the Thessalonians. An interesting element of these things that we see is that each of these benefits that Paul is receiving from the Thessalonians are undisputably tied to the people. Every element here is not just me and Jesus. His comfort that he's receiving is tied to the Thessalonians. His hope, and when he says in verse 8, for now we live, is tied to the Thessalonians. His thanksgiving that he is offering to God is tied to the Thessalonians. The joy that we feel in verse 9 is tied to to the Thessalonians. In verse 10, the earnest prayer to see them is tied to the Thessalonians. <clears throat> in the second half of verse 10, that he wants to righteously serve them is, is tied to the Thessalonians. I, we talked about, on Thursday night, at, at Connect last week, we talked about common grace, and we talked about how God works most in the natural world. That God works most through, through, through the obedience of his people. That's how he accomplishes his purposes. And so I think it's interesting to see 
Paul growing, Paul being sanctified as a direct connection to people. I believe, I believe that there, there's, a, there's an easy tendency for all of us that are, are, that are believers to sometimes simplify the Christian walk to a me and Jesus mentality. As long as you are having your quiet time and you are having your good prayer time and writing in your journal, then you're good to go. And Christian community um, is kind of a bonus. Christian community is kind of a, of, a, of a booster rocket, if you will. As long as you have those, those little components in place and that's kind of good enough and everything extra is just, of course, going to be beneficial. But what I think that we're seeing here is that's not the case. That, that our walk as Christ followers was, was never designed to be just me and Jesus. Obviously, Jesus is the most important piece to this to the scenario, but we were never designed to grow alone. That God has established something called the church or the body of Christ as a means of our sanctification. And when we interact with the body and we care for the body and we, and we love the body, it adds something to our life that we would not otherwise have. an escalator of sanctification. Now, if you technically were stranded on a deserted island and all you had was your Bible, I do believe that you could grow. But that's not God's design. That you might could grow like this. Whereas, if you participate in the body of Christ with people, God's people, that God's design for sanctification is like this. I want to go back and read the end of this text. Because this, the end of this text is a prayer by the Apostle Paul. And he says in verse 11, he says, Now may God, now may God our Father, excuse me, now may God our Father, not, they're, not, they're not big words. Uh, they're all three letters. <laughs> now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. So he's asking, he's beckoning God, please bring us together physically, face to face. Verse 12, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So he is saying, God, please help us to come together. But now, God, will you please do the work in them and may the Lord make you increase and abound. Increase means to go from lesser to greater. And to abound means to, to thrive and to flourish. So may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Why? In verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Listen to this carefully. Verse 13. Why? So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father. You know what that is? That is, that is a, a description of sanctification. That he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. That is sanctification. So what Paul is praying here is, is we are seeing at the beginning of this text how Paul is being sanctified through his relationship and love and care 
for the Thessalonians. And then Paul is saying, God, help them to continue in their sanctification. How? A direct connection with how they love each other. How they loved other people in the body of Christ, speaking specifically of believers. So that he, God, may establish your hearts, blameless in holiness, before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. So Paul is praying for this so that they may be sanctified. So in these two pieces of scripture, we're seeing that both Paul's sanctification and the sanctification of the Thessalonians are tied to their relationship with each other. So where, is, where, where does this apply here, now, physically, in this room of young adults? If Paul was sanctified via his love for the Thessalonians, if the Thessalonians were sanctified via their love for each other, there has to be a greater application than just, man, we need to love each other. I mean, you know, can't we just get along? You know, it seems a little, a little hippie to just say, you know, come on, let's, let's, let's love each other. Who's on board? You know, all right, let's pray. We're dismissed. <laughs> how, do you, how do you love at the level that elevates your sanctification. How do we love each other at the level that Paul is loving and at the level that Paul is praying for the Thessalonians to love each other so that it results in our elevated sanctification? It's a good question. I think it's a, it's, it's a valuable question. It's a meaningful question. It's a meaningful question. I think if, if we're not asking questions like that, then I think we're sinning because we need to be about our sanctification. So, what was unique about their experience? Let's ask that question. What was unique about their experience that benefited them to this level that it actually enhanced their sanctification? One, there's some common things we can observe here. They had a common bond in Christ. Let's just establish that. All right, this is one believer speaking to a group of believers. They have the common bond of Christ. It's a big deal. We're not talking about people who are living uh, for different purposes. Number two, they not only have the common bond of Christ, but they have a shared experience in Christ. That Paul was there in Thessalonica. Paul was there actually teaching them, loving them, praying together with them, offering instruction on righteous living. So it's not just this person lives in this town who's a believer and this person who lives in this town who's a believer. They have a shared experience together. Third thing. They're identified as being part of the same local body. I think this is important. The love that the Apostle Paul had, as we see described here, is a targeted love to a specific group of people in Thessalonica. It is not, in this instance, it is not speaking broadly to all believers on his missionary journeys. It's not speaking broadly to um, people in a couple different cities or even a couple different churches. It is a targeted love to a local body of believers in the city of Thessalonica. 
And what I want to propose here is that there's an element, several months ago we talked about church membership. I believe that there's an element here that we, a theme through scripture that we see that there is a huge importance of being vitally committed in in a way that we would use the word membership to a local body. I'm going to come back to that. There's prayer. Paul prays for them, number four. Number five, he cares for their soul. And here's how you define that. He cares for their soul because the Thessalonians' success brought him joy, and their potential failure brought him affliction and anguish of heart, as we see described in 2 Corinthians 2.4. That Paul felt it in his being when people were not doing well spiritually. People that he had, had targeted his love on. He uses the term affliction and anguish of heart because certain people weren't doing well. So how do you care? How, how do we in here, and I think this is what we're called for. This is not just like a prep talk for, or a pep talk for young adults. But how, how do we love each other as part of the body of Christ that enhances our sanctification. How do we how do we care for each other's souls? How do we pray for each other? I think that uh, you cannot care for each other in the context of you caring for those sitting around you, in front of you, and behind you if you're not invested in them. If there's not an investment, you're probably not going to care. I mean. You probably don't care how the stocks of Disney are doing right now if you're not invested. Kind of like, well, what, what does that have to do with me? But we invest by prayer. We invest by vulnerability. We invest in each other by stretching ourselves outside of our comfort zones. We invest ourselves by giving monetarily. We invest with the amount of time that we give. We all know that there's a tendency in the Western church um, to just attend church, you know, to go to the service and to kind of go home, or maybe even to go to community group and then just kind of go home. There's, it's just, it's a, it's something that happens when a place is oversaturated with churches because a group of people just kind of can kind of go. And in a even subconscious sense, sometimes check it off the list. And it's not that they don't, you don't, you can't grow from that, but it's this kind of growth, not this kind of growth. So if 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 all you're doing is receiving from the church, receiving teaching, receiving instruction. <coughs> Then the analogy that I make is like a married couple where only one partner receives the good and doesn't reciprocate. In 1 Corinthians 12, when it talks about the body of Christ and we, have, we all have a role um, and we all play different parts, um, it's, it's a text that's actually speaking to um, the local body because it doesn't really make a lot of sense 
to say that um, there's a believer in uh, Sudan that is playing an intricate role in my life spiritually. Does that make, see what I'm saying? Now, we are unified in the, in the corporate universal body of Christ, and we will one day be united in heaven. But when it talks about the working of the body, about if, if, if we were all the eye, where would the ear be? It's speaking about the local body. It's speaking about local groups of believers being together and meeting each other's needs. And you know what's impossible? For you to love all Christians with this kind of love. You can't do it. I am, um, when, I, when I was involved in student ministry and I would disciple guys, um, I had a limit of guys that I could disciple because I just couldn't do it emotionally. I couldn't, like I wanted to disciple you know, all of these guys, but I, I couldn't. And I remember thinking, you know, Jesus still, I mean, Jesus only had 12. <laughs> um, and, you know, I kind of found, like, that, that, that I wasn't able to invest in, at, that, at certain levels, with more than five, six guys um, for, for periods of time. Not that I couldn't love and impact and influence and meet with and challenge and encourage and call out other guys, um, but there was a limit. And I don't believe that God is calling you to invest and to love at this type of love all Christians everywhere. <laughs> but I think he is calling you to do that within your local body. Not, not just because, because, but because your sanctification is on the line. I know that most of you aren't married, but I was told before I was married that marriage uh, brings about a greater level of sanctification. And the way that I heard that was, well, you're going to fight sometimes. <laughs> you know, a plate may or not, may not get thrown. <laughs> All right. Um, that you're going to have to forgive when they really, you know, say something that was really hurtful. Because uh, you're living together now. You're in this for the long haul. You're committed till death do us part. And so, it's going to sanctify you, <laughs> you know? Um, but I think that there's an example there. There's an example here for us to look at. That the, the, the example is that you are, in the, in the marriage relationship, you're called to love each other greatly through hell and high water. That you're supposed to put your differences aside, that you're supposed to sacrificially be there for each other, and that that, that that is the process of sanctification. And so then when you look at Paul and his interaction with the Thessalonians, you see some very similar things. A, a deep, desperate love for each other, wanting to sacrifice for each other, longing to see each other face to face, being almost to the point of feeling wounded when they're not doing well. And that you want to do all that you can to help them. And then when you hear that they're doing well and that they not only are doing well, but they're returning that kind of love towards you, 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 you could say in verse 8, now we live because of this. You know? The, 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 the discouragement is gone now. And all of this, all of these things that we're talking about are intricately tied with human relationships within the context of the body of Christ.
So, so to invest in each other, to love each other, means that you're giving, that you're you're giving and loving m- more than what you feel like you have to give or love. I think is what it's saying. I believe that um, because we have eight really good churches in Mount Pleasant or more, I'm just saying a lot, um, that's, that preach the gospel, that many of you work in places where there might not be believers, but there are probably some, maybe, um, that you have context for Christian community outside the walls of the East Cooper Baptist Church. I think those are good things. But I think with those good things, there can creep in some unhealthy things, such as a mentality of hanging out with Christians that are just like you. You know, maybe some Christ- a few Christians at work, and a few Christians here, and a few Christians at Seacoast, and a few Christians kind of wherever. But like, if they're if they kind of fit your music style, you know, if they kind of live in your certain area, maybe, then that becomes your community. And I think that that's actually quite detrimental to your, to your faith. But but hear me, okay? Um, you know, to love and to hang out and to and to, and to interact with other believers is a good, noble, and righteous thing as long as it's not at the expense of this kind of love for the local body, is what I'm saying. That God has has purposed the local body to be an avenue of your sanctification. And if you are not participating in that, and I'm not talking about participating as in filling a seat, but giving of your time, of yourself, of your heart, of your service, of your money, um, of your comfort zone. Then, the, then your potential for sanctification is, is, is going to drop, I believe. And I'm not saying that as like a, I'm not saying that with the finger of like, you know, East Cooper is the way to go. Or the East Cooper Young Adult Ministry is the way to go. But I think that that's the principle that we see in 1 Thessalonians 3 here. I really do. And so, you know, I I try to encourage people. I've done this many times. If there's another body out there, local body, that is going to um, help you get sanctified more, then, I mean, you can go. There's nothing that says this is the only place that God is working, East Cooper. But if this is your local body, you need to sink your teeth in. I mean, grit (laughs) here. I really believe that. Um, I've spoken about community groups many times, and I think that they're a must. I think that this is a big group. There's probably 60 people here, maybe. Um, It's hard to get to know each other. But you can get to know your community group. If, If you look at this text, and you see the example of Paul, and you see the example of the Thessalonians as 
we are called to love each other at a, at a unique level. And you ask yourself, well, how in the world do I do that? Because it's, it's too short-sighted and too easy just to walk out of here and say, yeah, Danny's right, we need to love each other more. I think we need to say, what does that look like? How do you, what, are, what, are some, what are some things that you do? And I, and I really very simply want to propose that maybe you need to up your involvement. And I, wanna, I don't want to say that as a, you need to get busier. You know? And I don't want to say that as a um, tooting my own horn as the young adult pastor. But how do you love anybody or anything more? You put yourself around it. You just, you got to be there. Like, you can't just pick some arbitrary thing in some other country and just say, I want to I wanna love the Berber people group in North Africa more. You've got to interact with that somehow. You got to start praying for them more. You got to start finding some missionaries that are interacting with them and maybe support them. And if you have the opportunity, you should go see them. You need to, you need to read about them. You need to be about them. You can't just say, there's something out there that I just want to choose from within me to somehow push more love out of my heart towards them. You gotta, you gotta do it. And if you wanna love your neighbor better in the gospel, you gotta go outside and, and talk to them when they're outside. You gotta be there, you gotta put yourself where they're at. You gotta invite them over for dinner, you know? You've got, I mean, you gotta, you gotta plan to hang out outside when they're on their way home from work. If you want to love that person. So if you see this text and you see that there's, there's a direct connection with my sanctification and the way that I love the local body, you just got to be here. And again, I don't want to say this in any form of guilt, but I mean, that's the reason why we're doing the young adult retreat. Not just because it's a, hmm, you know, Asheville's beautiful. We, we should go, <laughs> you know? Come on, who's in? No, I think you can go on that retreat and learn and be around and laugh and worship and hang out and play games and do the bonfire, blah, 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 all the things that we're going to do. Have a great time, and it can elevate the way that you feel about each other. It can elevate your relationships. It can build into you things that you would not otherwise have by just coming to Sunday morning. The same thing with, the, with connect or community groups or the different events and the activities that we do. It's not just calendar filler that we do this stuff. We do this stuff because I believe that there's a direct connection with us doing stuff together that builds the body of Christ for the purpose of sanctification and your growth and the advancement of the kingdom. And I think it's a great honor and joy that we get to do stuff like that on top of the things that are biblically mandated, like being a part of, of worship and being a part of weekly teaching of God's word. Retreat, not biblically mandated. But if you can find another way, a better way, to learn, to grow, to love each other, then, then do that. But you need to be doing that. And I think sometimes <clears throat> in our busy world, we can fall into traps like, well, I'm busy. We're all busy. Um, but I'm a, I'm a believer that we all 
make time to do the things that we deem important. And I, and I, and I understand that, there, that, that, that this, like the retreat, for example, could fall into a category of like, well, it's just kind of, it's just kind of fun. You know, I don't deem that, I don't put that at the top of my priority list. But if you're finding yourself um, disconnected or dry spiritually, or if you say, how, how can I gauge myself in my own sanctification, and you're not pleased with what you look at, maybe you need to make time for it. You know? And, I, and, I, and I'm trusting and I'm believing that you're not just hearing me try to pitch an event. Maybe you need to make time, more time for your community group. I know you're studying a lot. I know you work long hours. Um, I've been so blessed by many young adults in here who have um, offered and have paid for several scholarships. So money is not a problem if that's what's holding you up. Um, and I, there have been times in my life when there were things going on as a part of the body of Christ that I just wasn't that interested in. That doesn't pique my curiosity. Um, but that I went to and found myself nourished by the gathering together of believers. Even if that thing wasn't my cup of tea. So, I, I consider it, to, to me, it's, it's just fun to be together. Is what the way Lauren and I feel with this group. Um, we enjoy y'all. We we love y'all. Um, but the the joy and the love that we feel and that we find um, with you in in the context of these human relationships is is tied to the gospel. Um, and the fact that we, you know our time, even when we get to laugh and love and play, is is also connected with, with our own growth. That, that my involvement here has pushed me in ways in my walk with Christ that I wouldn't have otherwise been pushed. And I hope that, that you could say the same. If, if you can't say the same, then I think that's a question you need to potentially diagnose in the context of 1 Thessalonians 3. So be encouraged. That we're, we're called to love each other um, specifically. And if this is your church, this is the group you're called to love. Um, this is the group that you're called to invest in. This is the group that you're called to be around. This is the group that you're called to change your plans so that you can interact with them and they can interact with you. This is the group um, that God is, is using as he uses local bodies since the first century church for the sake of sanctification and, 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 and the advancement of his kingdom. And um, I'm just thankful that East Cooper wants us to have a specific group like this. You know, that we, that we, can, we can take it to the next level and say, you know, we're going to supply extra funds so that we can do walking progressive dance. You know, so that we can do connect. So that we can put somebody in charge of this group to, to, to run with this as best as we can for the sake of the kingdom.
We love you guys. We're glad to be here. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that uh, we, again, are not just called to be alone and just figure out what me and Jesus looks like. But, Father, you've called us to be a part of a body um, where we play a role, that we invest, that we give, that we serve, and that others give and invest and serve us, and that, that, Father, we are sanctified. Father, Paul was sanctified. The Thessalonians were sanctified. I ask that you would use this group of young adults for your kingdom and for your purposes, and Father, that we as a group would grow individually and corporately. We ask these things in Jesus' name.